0: <clears throat> all right. We are in a series right now called Thrive, and the point of it is to help members of all of our sites at our church uh, to be able to say that their lives are full, that their lives are vibrant, that their lives are healthy and good. We don't want anyone you know, having the question asked, hey, how are things going? And you go, uh mediocre at best, right? Like we don't want people in our church to say, look, my life is just kind of mediocre right now. We want for you to be able to say, my life is good. And you can fill that out by saying, my life is good because my, my relationship with God is alive and active, and my faith in Him is vibrant, is growing, and things, though they're not easy, I, there's a reality that God is present in my life. That's our intent for this series, helping people to have a life that thrives. And one of the things that we're going to see this morning is that a key ingredient to that kind of life is faith in Christ. In fact, it's the key ingredient. So go ahead and find a Bible and get with me to Mark chapter 4. And we have Bibles in baskets on the floor, so you can look kind of down by your feet or, you know, over to somebody nearby and you can get yourself a Bible and get with me to page 815, Mark chapter 4, 815 in the Bibles that we have here. Um, now, here's why we do this. Every week, I ask you to open a Bible to track with me because here's the truth that I know. I, the opinions that I have are not the most profound things, and I'm not even much of a talker. My wife will tell you I don't talk very much, and I'm not sitting around eating my cereal, you know, saying these profound things. Like, Here's what I believe is true. The Bible is very profound, and when God speaks to us through it, things happen. And that's why each week we want you to open the Bible and I want you to track with me because I believe that God can speak through his written word to our very hearts and that can change things and help us and it can inspire us. And so that's what we do around here. Um, well, let me pray and then we'll get to work. Lord, we ask right now that you would speak to each one of us. Lord, help us to hear your voice loud and clear. Lord, thank you that you give us a glimpse of the, the reality, the power that, that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has, that he can communicate to the wind and the waves, and they obey his voice. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that we go through storms in life, and you are not absent, and you are not unconcerned, but you are there with us, and you love us, and you're, you're doing something beautiful. I pray for every person that's in here this morning, every person that can hear my voice, Lord, that they would respond with faith in your Son. We're so grateful for the salvation that he offers us for the power that he displays to us, for the reality that he is to us, Lord. Help us to believe in Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, Let me give you a little bit of background. So Mark chapter 4, we're starting in verse 36, but Jesus has been teaching from a boat. He gathered some followers together, and a handful of them were fishermen. And so he uh, talks to them and says, can we just push one of your boats out so that I can communicate to this crowd? I'm going to do some teaching, and this would be a great a way for me to be able to communicate to such a, large, such a large amount of people. So they push out on the boat, and in, it's the Sea of Galilee, and around the sea, it's very hilly. In fact, back in 06, we were able to, my family was able to take a trip over there, and so I, I was able to lay eyes on this area. There's a little kind of natural-looking amphitheater, and it's probably the place where Jesus pushed that boat out and began to talk to a huge amount of people so they could hear his voice. And he has been teaching them all day. And where we pick up is right at the end of the day, and he's making plans now to cross over to the other side of the lake. Look with me at verses 35 and 36. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats there with him. So what we see is that he's taking off to to cruise over to the other side of the lake. And um, what we find out is he must be very tired. He's leaving this crowd and he's going to this other side of the lake and there's a sense of, of urgency. Like he doesn't say, hey, let's go pack up so we can go. In fact, yesterday we were up at Lake Geneva. Uh, my, my family, they were trying to figure out a way to get all of the grandkids together because they're about to go into a, a very busy season in the life of their business. So we try to get together and spend some time. So we're hanging out at a water park in Lake Geneva doing our thing. And then my wife is working today. So we had to come home and then figure out how to get the kids ready to do an overnight at my in-laws, at Stephen Chris's house. And that's a process, five-year-old and a three-year-old, and we're just trying to make it as normal as we can. So we're gathering up all their gear, we're putting away all of their stuff from the water park, we're getting everything set so that they can have a, a successful overnight and then come to church in the morning and there's all kinds of gear that goes with it. And that's how most of us, I think, make preparations. We go, okay, if I'm gonna go do something, I wanna be prepared for it, but that's not what happens here. Jesus apparently just hops, right? He's in a boat and he says, let's just go. And they take him as he is and they just peace out and they go to the other side of the lake. And there's then, I think, this sense of urgency that he's departing from them. And I think one of the main reasons why is he's very, very tired. He's tired. He's been doing this work, this ministry, and, and now he's about to go to the other side of the lake. And, and I guess what I wanna say is, when we embrace God's call on our lives, there are going to be moments where we're gonna be smoked, where we're gonna be so tired because we're doing the work that the Lord has called us to, and there are going to be moments where, where, where we just need to retreat and spend a little bit of time alone and away from people, and, and that's totally okay. If, if that's where you're at and you're just tired because you're serving the Lord, Jesus himself often retreated to uh, be rejuvenated and to pray and to spend time with his close followers. So I think he was tired, but here's the other thing that I think— um, one of the things that we need to notice is he's, he's willing to leave a crowd. And I saw this last week when we were looking at the text and I've seen it a bunch of times, but one of the things we have to recognize is Jesus isn't always enamored by a huge group of people. So he had this opportunity to teach and all these people sitting on the shore and he's looking at them and he's like, I did my work here. I'm okay with going somewhere else. And I don't know if I'm, you know, overemphasizing this but it, I think it's important for us at the McChesney Park campus to be aware that Jesus isn't always totally enamored by a crowd. And I say that because we can come into, into here. And this has been very different for us in the Harlem Auditorium because it's so big, 750 seats. And sometimes we come in and we look around and we go, man, there's a lot of empty seats. And, and what I want to keep encouraging us to think through is Jesus was okay with spending the majority of his time with a smaller group of people. So for those of us that come from big church settings, the Beloit campus, big churches in Rockford, and we come in here and you go, ooh, where is everybody? I wonder if this is healthy. It's good for us to be mindful of the fact that Jesus intentionally spent time with smaller groups of people. And and actually that was, I think, his preference. Robert Coleman wrote a book called The Master Plan of Discipleship or Evangelism. And he said, "Here's, here's what Jesus did. He spent the majority of his time with that handful of disciples. And that was his strategy, and it was a good one, because it ended up influencing the masses. And so at our campus, I just want you to be aware, we love the fact that we're not this huge entity yet. We're not this huge group of people. There's a crowd, but it's not this enormous crowd. I love that I can look out, and I know names, and I can see your faces, and I know situations in your life. I love the, the, the close-knitness of this, of this campus, and I think that's a beautiful thing. But look what happens, verse 37. They, they're leaving now, they're crossing over the lake. In verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it, so that it was nearly swamped. They're crossing the lake and this storm comes out of nowhere, this furious squall. And, and the storm is, so, is raging so hard that the waves are now breaking over the boat and it's filling with water. And these men who are professional fishermen are looking at this situation going, our boat is going to sink. And we're in trouble here. And they go to find the Lord and he's sleeping on a cushion. You're going to see that in just a moment. But, but they, they recognize that this storm is threatening their very lives. They're thinking, we're going to drown out here. Um, now, one of the things that we need to recognize is there are real storms in life. Obviously, there are hurricanes and there are, uh, you know, storms around us that's causing all kinds of flooding. And there are tornadoes and things that, you know, we can be concerned about. But it's also an opportunity when we read a story like this to recognize those aren't the only kind of storms, that we go through trials in life, we go through difficult seasons in life where we feel the exact same way, where they are on a boat looking at all the waves coming in going, I'm going to die. And some of us are in a season in life right now where your life is a boat that feels like it's going to capsize. There's stuff going on right now where you're going, I, I don't know how I'm going to make it out of this alive. And there's such fear in you and anxiety in you and worry in you. You're just going, I don't know how this is going to play out, but I know it's not good. And we come into a church setting like this, and I know we have this tendency to pretend everything's okay, but some of us are kind of walking through a season right now where this storm is just kicking our butts. And we, we feel that if something doesn't change, we might die. We don't know how it's going to play out, but this is not good. And some of that looks like health concerns. Some of that looks like relational stuff. Some of that looks like financial stuff. But in our campus, I'm aware of the hurt and the pain that's going on here. And we go through these storms in life. And what we need to recognize is Jesus has a word for us, even today, that we're going, we might be going through a hard time, but he is Lord even over those hard times. But look what happens, verse 38. Jesus was in the stern of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? They're essentially going, what on earth are you doing, dude? Why are you sleeping in a moment like this? Don't you know that we could die here? And, and it reminded me of this story. We, uh, we used to go out to a camp in Colorado. A group from our church would go out every year and do this, uh, this camp thing out there. And then our great aunt, when she was getting older, um, she had an RV and she was like, I'm not using this thing anymore. Why don't you guys go ahead and use it? So we took this, it was like a 1980s Sprinter uh, old RV and we're like, let's take this thing to Colorado. And we were like putting parts on it as we're going. Like we would go and you know, wrench on it a little bit. We go out to Colorado and then when we're on our way back, it was before the, the days where you just kind of punch in like, oh, I'm going home and then it tells you where to go. So I had this road atlas and I took the night shift. So it's like two o'clock in the morning and and i'm thinking okay we're getting close to illinois i know i need to switch over to this other highway but i'm not exactly sure so pops is sleeping right behind me and you know sleeping it's an rv and you know how everything in an rv turns into a bed so he's sleeping on the dining table and i'm like hey uh i know i need to make some kind of change up here i got to get off on another highway uh is it you know is it coming up here and he goes yeah uh it's he tells me the name of it so i'm driving And now Pops is awake, and he's just kind of staring out the window, you know, like half asleep, and he's just looking forward. And I'm just driving, doing my thing, and he goes, he taps, and he goes, here's your exit. I'm, okay. So I go, you know, I turn over. So we get into the off-ramp to go make that little loop-de-loop thing. And he does one of these things. He's like, it's 30. Okay, we're going like 70 miles an hour in an RV. And he's like, it's 30. And then I hear the, the panic in his voice. Now, I grew up on a tree farm, so I've driven, you know, I've done all kinds of stupid things in vehicles, and I kind of know how to, how to drive and how to manage things like this. So, so I'm driving, and I'm hitting the brakes as hard as I can, and I'm looking at this thing going, okay, there's no going back. I can't just drift right back onto the highway. It's either we're going we're to try to make this turn, but we might flip this thing over. And I'm thinking, and this is all happening very fast. We, we end up on the shoulder, and then I'm like, we're not going to make it. So I just make that snap decision. We're going down this hill. And everyone, remember, is half asleep in this thing. And so it's like, all right, we're not going to make it. And I turn into it. And all of a sudden, we're going down this hill. And everything's shaking like crazy. And the cabinet doors are flying open. And Emily's in the back screaming bloody murder. Like, we're dying. We're dying. And we're cruising down this hill. And everyone's waking up then. And we get down to the the little uh, grassy area. And we come to a complete stop. And we're all freaking out, right? We're like, okay, we're alive. Thank you, Jesus. And I look over and my brother is sleeping, kind of kitty corner. He's on the sofa over here. My older brother, Brad, and he's sleeping and he just sits up. He looks around and he goes, oh, that wasn't that bad. And he goes back to bed. Now that's, I bring that story up because that's kind of like what the disciples experience here. They, they're like, what on earth is going on? We're about to die. And they find their, their teacher asleep on a cushion. And they're like, what are you doing, dude? And he's just saying, it's not that bad. Um, but here's a couple things that we can learn then. He obviously is totally smoked. Jesus is tired. And if you can sleep in a situation like that, you must be exhausted. And here's another thing that we, we learn about him. He must have a peace that transcends circumstances, right? If he's able to navigate that experience and be pretty cool, calm, and collected in the midst of it, he must have a peace that isn't determined by the things going on around him. He's not looking at how challenging the storm is and freaking out, but he must have a peace that comes from somewhere else. So verse 39, he got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He spoke and creation listened to his voice. He spoke and this storm that was threatening the lives of these disciples and these fishermen and Jesus himself, he speaks to it and it listens to him. So I want to share with you a few things that we can learn from this story. I want to share first off that, that Christ can be with you in a storm. Okay? For the disciples, they've got the Lord of glory in their, in their boat. And he's there and he's present. And when he steps forward and he, he flexes his godness, everything goes calm. But in the midst of the storm, I want you to see he's there. And for some of us, we need to be reminded of that. If you're a Christian and you're going through a rugged season right now, God is not absent, but he's present there with you. And one of the things that we need to do is spend more time, more energy trying to locate him in the storm, knowing that he's, in, he's doing life together with us and he's there and he's present. And even if he's somewhat inactive, feeling like it's inactive, he's still there. And so we need to spend time going, what are you up to in this storm? And I would encourage you then to be prayerful and say, you know, really asking, Jesus, what are you? Where are you right now? Because sometimes I don't feel you, and sometimes the storm is a lot bigger feeling than you are, and I need help. So help, help me to see what you're up to in the midst of this. A second thing that we can learn from this story is that when we, when we're fearful, sometimes we wrongly interpret the situation. When we have, when we don't allow faith to be operating on our heart, but we allow fear to have the primary place, we will wrongly interpret the situation. And we'll begin to think, God doesn't love me. If this is where I'm at right now, and this is how hard it is right now, and I can't see him and I can't find him and he's not clearing this thing away for me, maybe he doesn't love me. Or maybe he doesn't care about me. Maybe he's unconcerned. But but let me just point this out. When you are fearful, you will wrongly interpret this you will begin to think that the apparent inactivity is, is apathy. And you're going, God doesn't love me. He doesn't care. He's not taking initiative. And that's not true. That's simply not true. Because God both loves you and he's powerful enough to act on your behalf. And if he spends a few moments napping, you know, not doing what you think he should do of clearing away the storm, that doesn't mean that God is going to leave you, um, you know, out to sea and at trouble. He's, he's there with you and he's able to do incredible things for you. So here's the third lesson that we learn. Storms then can actually be one of the best learning environments. Now I don't wanna make storms into this you know, attractive thing for us, because they're hard and they're no fun. But when we are in the midst of a storm, we learn something about faith. We're able to learn something about our savior and his authority. There are certain things that we can't actually fully embrace in here, right? We're sitting in comfortable chairs in an auditorium listening to a dude talk, and I can tell you, here's what faith looks like. That's, that's okay, and that's important. We need to do that, but there are times when you're in the midst of that raging storm where faith becomes real. It's not just a concept, but it's something that you are clinging to with your very life, and you're realizing God is powerful, and he loves me, and he's at work even in the midst of this. So it's a learning environment. Those of us that are going through stuff right now, God is teaching us, and he's helping us to know the depth of his love and his power and his authority. Now, the Bible talks about this in a lot of different ways. It talks about how storms and trials and difficulties can improve a person's faith. I'll give you one example. James 1 goes like this. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The trials, the storms, consider it a joy. I know that's hard to do, but when you're going through a hard season, when you're going through a storm, It can be an opportunity for you to grow in your trust of God, and it can produce in you a perseverance, and that perseverance can create a maturity and a completeness in you. And so that third lesson is very important. Storms can be a great learning environment for us. They're no fun, but you will come out on the other side with a battle-tested faith. All right, look what happens next, verse 40. This is how Jesus responds to the disciples, verse 40. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So he looks at the disciples and he's able to communicate to them, hey, this fear that you have, that's indicating really what's going on in your heart. Why don't you have, do you still have no faith? And here's really what he's saying. You've now watched me at work, okay? These disciples had begun to follow him and he had taught people and he had done very powerful and mighty things. He, they watched as he healed people and, and all these other things, and he's able to say, do you still have no faith? And, and essentially what he's saying is, do you not understand who I am? Are you unaware of my power and my glory and my authority? Are you fear? Your fear is revealing that you don't fully trust him. And he, that's what he's saying. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? What he's doing is he's drawing attention to himself. And he's saying, look, if I'm in your boat, I created all of this. If I'm in your boat, it's an expression of my love for you, my nearness to you. All that you're seeing and all that you're experiencing, it's under my control. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. Do you have no faith? What he's asking us to do then is to see how we relate to him. Do we believe him to be the son of God? Do we believe that he has power and authority? Do we believe that he can with a word calm the storms of life? Do we believe in who he says he is? And he's saying, Why are you afraid? Do you have no faith? He's drawing attention to himself. And look at verse 41. They were terrified, and they asked each other, Who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. They began now to see with eyes of faith, Who is this guy? because he obviously is very, very, very powerful. The storm that a few minutes ago we were freaking out about, listen to him. Okay, I don't know anyone else who can communicate to a storm and it just settles down, but he can. So who is he? Who is this man that we are spending our time with? And the thing that's surprising is the response they have is that their fear now has shifted, right? They were fearful of the storm, but I want you to see this. When you come, into the real, come in contact with the real Jesus, that's also a scary deal, right? We can paint Jesus as this really mild dude who's you know, really cool and fun, and he teaches in a you know, pretty provocative way, and we're like, yeah, I like this guy. He's, he's pretty neat. He loves people. But look at the response of the disciples. They were terrified. When you come into contact with the real Christ, there's something about his divinity, something about his authority, something about his godness that makes you go, I don't know what I'm dealing with here, but he's not manageable. Like I'm not just co-opting him into my life and saying, hey, why don't you come along with me, ride my boat. We're going to go wherever I want to go. He's the Lord. And when you begin to follow him, you begin to see my life now is at his, it's his agenda. It's whatever he wants to do. I'm going to surrender to him. They are terrified of him because they begin to see and sense He's the Son of God. He's the King of glory. He's the Lord over the storm. And their lives then are, are profoundly changed by that as they have this new expression of faith in him. So this morning, one of the reasons why I think Mark wrote this, he recorded it for us, is because he wants us to know who Jesus is. He is the Lord of glory. He has authority over the creation that he's made. And with a word, he can, he can calm a storm, literally. He wants us to know that Jesus is the Son of God, and he's not only Lord over creation, he should be Lord over our lives. And the reason why Mark wrote this and the reason why I'm preaching on this is because I hope and I pray that Jesus is your Lord. I hope that you would be willing to say, who is this man? He is incredible, and I will surrender my life to him. And all the plans that I had for my life— And I just thought I was going to come to church and just get my life a little bit better, a little bit more improved. But when you come into contact with him and you go, who is this guy? It should change everything. And I have been praying that some of you would place your faith in him, that you would trust him as Lord of the universe and Lord of your heart and life. And that's the reason why we exist as a church. We want people to know the real Jesus and to see him and all of his brilliance and all of his beauty and to say, we're following him, come what may. Even if he says, get in this boat, we're going right into the heart of a storm, and we'll say, with you, we'll go wherever. We'll, we'll go wherever it is that you want to go, and I will trust you and believe in you. And listen, if you have a faith in him, it's like a ballast for your boat, right? That, that Storms are going to come. There's no, there's no, I haven't found the verse yet in the Bible that talks about Christians kind of getting out of jail free, right? Like, we just go through life, and there's no troubles and no worries. I haven't found that verse. We will go through storms, but if he's in the boat, if the Lord of glory is with us in our lives, we're pretty unshakable people. And it will be hard and it will be difficult, but if he's there and we are placing our faith in him, we're gonna be okay. And we'll be honest too, there are gonna be moments where we're still freaking out a little bit and we're kind of looking at him like, is he gonna wake up? Is he gonna do anything? But we're gonna trust him and know that he is powerful and know that he loves us. And we want you to have that kind of faith. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up and we're gonna pray once more and we're gonna worship that Lord of glory who has power even over the storm. So let's, let's bow and let's pray. Lord, I pray for my friends that are in here. And I know my own heart. I come to church and I worry. I know that I can be exhausted and still not be able to sleep because I don't have that peace sometimes I, I just worry and I think and I stew over things. And, and Lord, I'm so grateful that you have a peace that passes understanding and that you, Lord, are in control. Even in the situations that just feel chaotic, you are in control. I'm, I'm grateful, God, that we've come together to remind ourselves of that truth. And I'm grateful, God, that as we come together, there might be people in here who have not placed their faith in Christ yet. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them courage to step forward in faith and and be willing to follow this man. Who is this man that the wind and the waves listen to? He is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to believe in him and trust in him. We pray in his name. Amen.